First Timothy chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, three, uh, three or four Sunday evenings ago, I think it was four, with, uh, with uh, Puerto Rico in between, uh, we began a series in our Sunday evening services, and uh, it's just a basic thing. We, uh, for public ministry in our fellowship, we have a, a form people should sign, and there's nothing on this form that is, like, shocking, and in the sense that uh, it has to do with basic Christianity. That's all it is. They're not, some people will refer to them as fellowship standards. I always beg to differ with them. They're not fellowship standards. They're biblical standards that our fellowship has embraced. For instance, come to church, be faithful. We looked at that last week. That shouldn't be shocking to many people. Like, wow, if I'm going to have ministry, if I'm going to be involved, I have to be reliable. And I have to be diligent in that ministry. Not just showing up and winging it. I've, I, you know, I've been a preacher for a long time. And when I was a young preacher, I learned very quickly that if I don't have good notes, it gets really bad really quick. There has to be preparation put into a sermon or it just ends in disaster. If that's true of sermons, it's true of all ministries. Right, The play that we did, it wasn't like Logan just called some people up and said, okay, hey, I want you to do this part and do it however you feel. That would have been chaotic, absolutely disastrous. But there was preparation, there was practice, there was rehearsal, there were people very diligent to learn their parts. A couple of outstanding uh, parts I thought was was Yanni just coming out of himself and and performing. Also, Aiden I thought did a great job, just getting be, getting off the sound side, the back side of it, and now for, for this excellent, it was a lot of fun doing that because ministry again is service to God. It's an expression of your service to God. It's not about your talents. It's not about your abilities. There are people with the talents and abilities, but they disqualify themselves because they're not morally correct. They're not spiritually healthy. It has to do with your service to God. It's not about a job. It's not a right. It's service before the Lord. Now, well, I've been coming here for 10 years. I deserve this ministry. No, uh, it's not how it works. It's service to the Lord. And in the text that we are going to read, Paul writes standards. He says, if you're going to be a deacon, if you're going to be a pastor, there are going to be certain responsibilities, certain expectations in your life that will be there. And so let's look at this. 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. This is a trustworthy saying. If anyone aspires to be a church leader, he desires an honorable position. Some and most translations say an honorable work. So a church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home. He must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or violent or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, not love money. He must manage his own house well, having his children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? A church must, a church leader must not be a new believer because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fall. Also, people outside the church must speak well of him that he, uh, that, so that he will not disgrace and fall into the devil's trap. In the same way, deacons must be well-respected have, and have integrity. They must, uh, they must not be heavy drinkers or dishonest with money. 
They must be committed to the mysteries of the faith now revealed and must live with a clear conscience. Before they are appointed deacons, let them be closely examined. And if they pass the test, uh, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, why, their wives must be respected and not slander each uh, slander others. They must exercise self-control and be faithful in everything they do. A deacon must be faithful to his wife. He must manage his children and his household well. Those who do well as deacons will be rewarded in respect from others, and they will have increased confidence of their faith in Christ Jesus. Now, in this text, it's very straightforward, and again, I'll explain this just every week in passing. It says the leader of the church, in some translations it'll say bishop. This is interchangeable with the word pastor, and they have to do with the same thought. A deacon simply means a servant, or literally it was taken from the thought of a table waiter. It would be a term that we would call a disciple today, but it's the understanding of someone who serves in the church. It's actually taken from Acts chapter 6 when the first ministry beyond the apostles were table waiters. And so this kind of uh, terminology became uh, a synonymous with the church today deacons are often the board of or what we would call the council and different things different terminologies have changed over the years but the basic understanding is people who would serve the lord in a different way in different capacities and different ministries and one of the standards that is brought out, that second one on the list, we talked about faithfulness last week, is that you will pay your tithe. So let's talk about tithe and your heart. What is a tithe? Now, when I got saved, I didn't know what the word tithe meant. I had no idea. I had never heard that word before. I was grew up Catholic. I never heard exactly what uh, a tithe is or a tithe, T-I-T-H-E, tithe or tithe. It's tithe. It's pronounced tithe. But it has to do with 10%. And the question is what one man said, tithing is biblical. Are you Biblical. Tithe has to do with gross income. It has to do with two words around tithing. And we looked at one this morning in our Sunday school, the thought of first fruits. One man gave a great illustration. He said, if I got a thousand dollars, one, ten, one hundred dollar bills, and I laid them out here on the pulpit, which one is the tithe? The first one, the last one, which one is the tithe? And he said, it's very simple. It's the first one to go. Very simple. The first, the priority. Now, obviously, if you get paid on Friday, you don't have to sit on your check until Sunday till you come to church, right? That's not the principle. But the principle, the understanding is that it's in your heart as a priority. The other thought behind the word tithe is increase. That God increases us and we give. Deuteronomy 14.22 You must set aside your tithe of your crop. One-tenth of all the crops you harvest each year. Now some people will say of tithing, well that's the law. Right? That's, that's the law. Christ has freed us from the law. And we're not bound by the law. What do you mean tithing? Uh, that we have that this is an issue well it's very interesting tithing is not part of the law it is mentioned in the law just as marriage is mentioned in the law but marriage tithing some other principles of life are what they call pre-law as we're doing our bible study on the nine it deals with a section of before the law before the prophets before that time there were certain spiritual truths that are not just out there marriage is one of them God created Adam, and he looked at the boy. Out of all of creation was good. He looks at Adam alone. He goes, <laughs> not good. And he says, that boy needs some help. And so he makes a wife for him. 
That's a good thing. That's pre-law. That when Matt, when the law came, there had to be some guidelines like, you know what, you probably shouldn't have 17 wives, and if you're going to treat her, you need to treat her right, and he, she needs to do certain things, and you need to, and say, right, and so straightforward. Genesis 14 is actually the first time tithing is mentioned. There's a man named Melchizedek, and Melchizedek is a mystery. He's a man that we don't know his beginning, we don't know his end. He's very representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, And after Abraham had defeated uh, and rescued his nephew Lot uh, and brought back all of the uh, city of Sodom, the the king of Sodom tried to make him a deal. You can keep all this stuff, just give me the souls. And Abraham said no, but he did go and worship. And it says that Melchizedek, uh, the king of Salem, the high priest of the Most High God, brought Abraham some bread and wine. And Melchizedek blessed Abraham with a blessing. Blessed uh, blessed be Abraham by the uh, God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. Blessed be the Most High who has defeated your enemies uh, and for you. And Abraham gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. Jacob is running from Esau. He's leaving his family's house. He's on his way. And he's trying to make a deal with God. And part of that deal was, God, if you get me out of this, I'll pay my tithe. So tithing was well established before the law. It's something that was very basic, just like the thought of murder being wrong was established before the law. We didn't need the Ten Commandments. That's well established beforehand. From when Noah got off the ark. Jesus, they'll say, well, it's not mentioned in the New Testament. That's a mistake. Matthew 23, 23 Jesus is speaking, he says, What sorrow awaits the teachers of the religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites? For you are careful to tithe on even the tiniest income of your herb gardens. But you ignore the most important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. So Jesus' criticism on the Pharisees is not that they paid their tithe. He's not saying, yeah, that's the law, you guys are legalists. He says, no, the problem is they were tithing and they were using, hiding that behind an excuse to not have mercy and justice and these kinds of things. They put heavy laws and you read uh, Matthew 23, uh, it is an incredible indictment on the religious in, our, in the Bible, it is very clear that holiness was connected to tithing. In, the, in Luke chapter 18, it tells us a parable where Jesus tells a story about a publican and a tax collector and a Pharisee, a religious man. And the religious man goes to pray. And he said, and he's trying to make himself sound spiritual. Lord, you know, I keep your law. I pay my tithes. I fast twice a week. And I thank you that I'm not like other men, like this extortioner and covetous and this, like this tax collector. And the Bible says the tax collector just repents. He says, which one goes away? Justified, of course, was the tax collector. Because he was humble. But it's very interesting that one of the marks that the Pharisee puts out there is, I pay my tithe. Leviticus tells us that the tithe is holy. Leviticus 27, one-tenth of the land, one-tenth of the produce of the land, whether it is grain from the field or fruit that belongs to the trees, belongs to the Lord, it must be set apart to him as holy. So the tithe is holy. He goes on to say in Leviticus 27, if you want to buy it back, it's going to cost you 20%. Now, I, you know, credit card rates are, have crept back up there. They're, uh, some of them are getting as high as 30%. If you owe money on a credit card, 
you're paying upwards of between 23 and 20 and 30 percent of interest, 29.99 percent interest. It's incredible. It's usury is what it is. It's highway robbery. But if you touch the tithe, God says add, when you pay back the tithe to the Lord, add 20 percent. Because he says, this is holy, this is mine. This is not just for the church or just for, you know, just for the bill's sake. And I don't mean Buffalo, I mean for the, like, the RG&E. I mean the reality of this is it's spiritual. Malachi 3, many of you know this. Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? Where did we cheat you? And God says, you have cheated me from the tithes and the offerings due to me. So this is an obligation. God puts this out there. This is biblical. This is what God says of the tithe. Now, obviously... Tithe was for the purpose of supporting the work of God. We're going to touch on this a little bit further. But from time to time, in the, even in the Old Testament, the neglecting of this began to be obvious. In the book of Nehemiah, he goes and he sets the tithing in order and then he has to go back to the king and he does it. And he comes back in, in Malachi 13 and they're still not doing it. He said, this is a problem. You're violating the very principle of God. More than a quarter of American evangelists, evangelistics, which would include Pentecostals, more than a quarter, 20, more than 25%, do not give any money to the church. About 11% of evangelist, evangelistics Never attend church, so perhaps that makes sense why they don't give either. But according to a survey, another 15% of church attendance never put money in the plate. Giving historically increases with age, but a study notes that millennials and Gen Zers are much more likely to give directly to family, friends, or even strangers than to support an institution. It goes on to say that 10% of the church world give less, give all, le, uh, give greater than 8%. Only 10% even get close to tithing. 23% give between 2% and 8%. 26% give zero. And 42% of evangelicals give less than 2%. That's the Barna Group survey. That's the spiritual generation we live in. In Nehemiah chapter 10, you know, we promised to bring in the first part of every harvest to the Lord's temple every year, from the, whether it be from the crop, uh, from the soil, or from the fruit of our trees. We agreed to, to give God the oldest uh, sons and the firstborn and the, all the, uh, you know, the, from the herbs and from the herds of the flock into established, prescribed by the law. But he goes on to say in Nehemiah 10.39, we promised together not to neglect because they had been neglecting. Now, obviously, the tithe, what does it go for? It goes for our facility. It goes for our support, for outreaches. Flyers are not free. It goes for this, uh, the furnishings of church equipment and, and such. It goes for our ability to send out workers into other cities. It goes for all sorts of ways to produce and to move forward the work of God. It's not going to be done in any other way. You know, we had our big yard sale. I think we, I think, if I'm not mistaken, we cleared $200. 
for the amount of work it's not going to be big sales so let's talk about tithing and ministry because your attitude towards money is very important nothing is going to reveal your heart like money money and sex let's just be honest about it those are the two great revealers and destroyers of the heart you see it in politics when a politician goes down it's either a bribery scandal a money scandal or it's a sexual scandal they don't get taken down often because you know uh, they lied (laughs) in fact that's probably how they got their job in the first place right your attitude towards money is a mark and again ministry is service before the lord and one of the most critical issues in service before the lord is your heart when we're ministering before god how is your life in our text it tells us in verse 3 that he must not be a heavy drinker or be violent this is speaking of a pastor he must be gentle not quarrelsome not love money of a deacon or a servant it says in the same way deacons must be well respected and have integrity they must not be heavy drinkers or dishonest with money so in the text it's bringing out the thought of money connected to ministry and it's not just the fact of Creflo Dollar wanting a 65 million dollar jet and people going this is crazy or mega pastors church leaders wanting gold toilet seats uh, or buying 1700 dollars worth of cinnamon buns every day just to have that aroma in the office and all the other crazy scandals we've heard about it's not just about that kind of stuff it's about your heart John chapter 12 verses 4 through 6 but Judas Iscariot the disciple who would soon betray him that perfume was worth a year's wage it should have been sold and the money given to the poor not that he cared about the poor he was a thief for since he had been in charge uh, of the disciples money he often stole some for himself now it's a very interesting picture this is where mary mag uh, magdalene breaks the alabaster box over jesus and an alabaster box was in a, a perfume that was used to anoint bodies they did not have the embalming abilities that we have today when we were in lithuania they did not embalm bodies and they had this one particular very soviet very cold and i mean both physically in the winter but it was cold just as far as emotions uh, of just cement rooms no it was just cement walls cement floors cement rooms and they would have funerals in there but we i did a few funerals in august i did a few in july they didn't bomb the bodies in there and you could smell them and you walked in there and it, it was pungent it was strong you you know uh, I, I, it was a mixed blessing because they stay so long at the graveside in lithuania literally they lower the casket in everybody stays there in america we all go away and have potato salad and talk about the what a wonderful person the person was right but there they stay there and they all start picking up handfuls of dirt and throwing it in and then the uh workers come over and they bury it so uh, they put and nobody leaves and then they they put the pile of dirt over the body and they put the, all the flowers that everyone's bought and everybody puts flowers down sometimes they put a candle it's in a form of a cross or something on it and then everybody goes and has potato salad and tells says what a nice person they were the mixed blessing to me was the the summertime meant that the funeral place was going to smell really bad but it wasn't bad being by the graveside 
The wintertime meant we could go and, and it was cold and you wouldn't smell the bodies as much. But then we had to be freezing at the graveside because everybody's throwing dirt in there and our three cars behind and I can't get out because it's like roads that aren't big enough for cars. I'm not trying to be cruel in that sense. But the thought was that perfume would have helped in a hot environment. Mary Magdalene breaks this over. That's why they did it. They break it over. and he's anoint, She's anointing Jesus' body with some understanding of what's about to happen. And Judas's covetousness rises up. This is long before he betrays Jesus. He would betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Based on the calculations of wages and different things that would have been in, in a Roman salary compared to the soldier's salary in the United States, this is about for $3,000. $3,000 is not exactly life-changing money. It's a ble- If someone gave you $3,000, you'd be very happy. But two years from now, your life is basically not going to be pretty much the same as it would without the money. It's not going to change. Now, if somebody gives you $10 million, your life is going to be very different three years from now. It's not life-changing money. It's a good amount of money, but he sold the Lord out for $3,000. But it tells us in this text... He sold the Lord out a long time before that. Because he would steal from the Lord Jesus. It's a hard issue. This is why if you don't handle money right, the time will come that you will sell out the you'll sell out Jesus Christ. You'll sell him out. It's not me, it's the Bible. Luke 16, 13. No one can serve two masters, for they will hate one and love the other, or they will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. So when you're not tithing, what you're saying to God is, my money is more important than you. God, I know you said this is holy, but you know what? I'm more important than you are, therefore my money is. See, being liberal is liberating. And I'm not talking about politically, I'm talking about financially. Being liberal, never mind. All right, that's not liberating. That's that's torturous in the political sense. But in the financial sense... God blesses its freedom. There's a blessing and a favor. Philippians 4.15, for you know, Philippians, that you were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. What's associated with the book of Philippians? One of the most common words in the book of Philippians is joy. It's very interesting covetous people are never joyful people liberal people they're joyful people and it's not necessarily amounts because to one person they could give a thousand dollars and it would be nothing to most of us a thousand dollars is a lot of money So it's not about amounts, right? The widow gave two mites, two pennies, and Jesus said she gave more than all the rest of you. It's about the heart. It's about where you're at. Acts chapter 4, verse 36 and 37, for instance... There was Joseph, one of the apostles, nicknamed Barnabas, which literally means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He had sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles' 
feet. That leads into chapter 6, or chapter 5 rather, I'm sorry, where a couple conspires together saying we're going to act like we've given more than we did. We're going to make ourselves look better. They lie to Peter. They lie to the Holy Spirit. And they end up dying in church. Because money is a great revealer of the heart. Proverbs 11.25 The generous will prosper. And those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. The principle there is that when you give, there's a liberality that comes back to you. The other understanding is that if you don't support the work of God, you won't value it. In 2016, I found this, uh, it was done by the National Association of Realtors about home ownership. And it says that those, and this was to be compared to those who simply rent. It says, home ownership brings stability to neighborhoods among people of the same age, same income, same marital status, as people, as a person more significantly likely to uh, change their residence uh, or, or compared to a renter rather than a homeowner. First, it had a positive impact on the educational environment. Increasingly, different reasons were involved in this, but it brought greater stability to the area. Parents were more likely to be involved in schools if they owned. It promoted civic engagement. Owning one home brought a sense of attachment, not only to the home, but all to the neighborhood and to the community as well. Homeowners owners are more likely to participate in elections, civic groups, neighborhood organizations, rather than renters. It goes on to talk about it yields better physical and psychological help, health. It reduces crime. Some people are just renting a church. That's all they're doing, renting a church. They're not taking it, making it their own. Just renting. That's the picture of the heart of tithing. So let's talk lastly about the fact that God wants to bless you. Because ministry is more than your talents and your abilities. It is the service that you render to God himself. That's what ministry is. I serve the Lord in this capacity. That, you know, many of it, much of ministry is, is in a sense, in one sense, it's not, you're not doing it for the stardom. I'm sure Allie doesn't do the nursery just because, you know what, I get power. (laughs) I'm sure there's a lot of times where she's doing the scheduling going, and why did I want to do this? (laughs) Just saying, I mean, you know, it's not like, it's like, wow, that's, you know, and, you know, I don't think I've ever mentioned that before. I don't know how many pastors it's like, you know, and we... It's not that I take it for granted. It's just that, you know, it's just something I don't have to think about. But she doesn't get this star. She often gets the arguments. Right? And uh, there's times you think about it. As a missionary, there were many times it was like, you know what? Why am I doing this again? It's definitely not for the money. There's lots of times where Christianity is going to be about your heart. If all Christianity... Jesus is asking for your heart. He said, you know what? Don't be, don't hate from your heart. Don't lust from your heart. You've heard it said in the law, but I'm telling you, you know, to go a mile, go two. Someone sued, give him your coat, you know, go beyond. He said, don't, Matthew 6 
19 through 21. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For your treasure is, for wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. So when I say that money reveals the heart, it's not because I came up with that. It's because Jesus had already said it. The blessing is when you over, when you give that liberality, God says, I see that too. I'm putting a treasure up in heaven for you. Because ministry is about the heart. Oh yeah, I'm great. I'm grateful you can sing and actually keep mostly in the key. That you know a few guitar chords. That you have some technical ability and you're able to run a computer. I'm grateful for that. But it goes beyond that. Because it's about the heart. Proverbs 4.23 Guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Five core ministries every church needs. This is an article that I read. It said, of course, we need praise and worship. That's an obvious part. We come in, we praise. Song service is more than just singing some songs and having some musicians play. It's about establishing the presence of God. And so many times as we sing those words from those songs, after all the vexes of the day, there were times in the middle of this building crisis, and of crisis, building, pro, you know, just going through, and moments it was crisis. I'm on the phone all day with lawyers and bankers and real estate agents, and I would come in and just sing those songs, and it would be like, thank you, Jesus. Be able to put the cares behind. It says we need local outreach. That's a given of any healthy church that will prosper. We have a great, great hearts here of people who come on local outreach, whether that's a play or a music or a trunk or treat or, or a, a Saturday morning. We have a great crew who does involved. People do that. Others of you God's dealing with, I'll leave that to another sermon. It needs preaching and teaching, biblical preaching and teaching. It needs the ability to make guests and visitors feel welcome. And it needs children's ministries. Those are the fundamentals of any church. No one person, no pastor, no pastor's family... Maybe one exception, Pastor Joe Rice, he's had a dozen kids. He might be able to get away with it just by doing it all with his family. But that's an exception, a very uh, uh, outlying situation. Pastor, uh, not Joe Rice, it's Sam Rice. Sam and, Sam and Patty, great couple, love them, love their kids. And uh, some of the finest young men. That's the amazing thing that, you know, he's got this dozen kids and, and they're all nice kids. It's really, you know, a great group, of, a great bunch of boys and girls. And so, but it takes people. And the more, and I said before, the reason I'm doing this is I, I just feel, uh, you know, yes, the building, yes, that'll be resolved. Yes, we're going to grow. We're going to see, you know, we've had these incredible amounts of visitors and just, I believe, you know, the uh, strategy and things we're trying to pray through and yes, for building, what are we going to do for music scenes and all that? I, you know, let me get through tomorrow and, and Tuesday and then we can talk about, it. okay, just let me get through this and be done with it. But the understanding and the thought that we're going to grow. And if ministry is going to be established in that, it's going to have to deal with our hearts so, with tithing, and I close with this thought, it's very interesting. 
Money is one of the issues that either you're going forward or you're going backward on. If you won't tithe, and I mean fully tithe, I was talking with Yanni, you know, it's been a while, but back in the day, there were times we would get empty envelopes in the offering. We haven't gotten one in a while, right? Thank God. And sometimes it's kids, I get it. Sometimes it's kids, they just grab an envelope, they put it in. I've had people put a quarter in, I'm like, the envelope costs more than that, but whatever. Right? But it's very interesting, everyone who I've ever met who wants to argue the issue of tithing never seems to make it for God in the long term. Because it's about moving forward. Philippians 4, Paul goes on in verses 18 and 19. He says, at the moment I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Ephrodite, Ephrodites, and the sweet-smelling sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. At this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs with the goodness, with the glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, remember this, the farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. So must each decide in your heart how much you will give. Do not be reluctant or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all your needs so that you will have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. He links the understanding here of giving and blessing. Future. Because there's a time each one of us has to draw from Resources. Sometimes it's going to be in just the realm of money. Sometimes you're going to hit a bump in the road and you've got to dip into your savings, right? You've had to save, and I hope you have saved a little bit, that you'd have something to dip into and you're not trying to just function on the credit card at that point. But there's the reality of, spiritually speaking, there's times you've got to do that too. My God shall supply all my needs. But if you're only sowing sparingly, if you're not giving beyond, some, sometimes it's, the, it's beyond the tithe. It's like it's very interesting. Some people, they're very, they'll tie $86.52 and bless God, and, you know, and a world evangelism pledge goes out or a love offering and they don't give a penny. What is going to be there when you need to take from your account? And when there's nothing there, they blame God. See, I tried that Christianity, it didn't work. And they walk away bitter. And I've seen it play over, over and over and over and over. Ministry is about the heart. Money is connected to the heart. Sometimes there's a direct connection between the heart and the wallet. One particular nerve. But as we give and would be a tither, God will bless you. There are many in here that you do tithe, obviously. We would not have this facility. I can tell you that the bankers looked at some of our numbers and they went, what? Because it is a very liberal church. And I want to just encourage you for those of you that do tithe. God has resources and blessing and favor that you do not know. And someday when you will have to draw on that, it's going to be there for you. And God's blessing and favor will be tangible at that moment. And thank God for that. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. We're only going to do a couple more of these.
this series and wrap it up. I just wanted to take time, like I said, because I believe that this is going to be critical for our church's future. But maybe you're here tonight. You're not right with God. You're not saved. I'll tell you, money is a great revealer of the heart. And God wants to touch your life. He wants to change you. He wants to help you. I was in the nation of Lithuania and somebody said the typical mantra, oh, the church only wants my money. And I looked at this man and I said, yeah, I've come all the way from the United States to get your money. And he laughed because Americans have far more money than Lithuanians. Their average wage, they probably function on between a third between a half and two-thirds would two-thirds of your wage of an average wage in america would be huge money there but the the principle is the heart is your heart right with god and if your heart's not right with god you want to pray you want to receive jesus or your backs then i wonder if you'd slip up your hand very quickly Pray for me. I'm not right with God. I want to change the call with every head bowed for just a moment. You are saved. This is not just a principle of ministry. It's a principle of Christianity. Like I said, every one of these standards that we're looking at, they're not ministry standards. They're biblical standards that every Christian should meet anyway one of them is tithing and you would be honest tonight you would say you know what I'm not tithing you may be renting you may give some money but you're not actually tithing it's not about just the income level of the church. We'll go over month through the year-end reports. I try to be as clear and transparent. We go over monthly reports with the council. They have liberty to ask me anything when it comes to the spending of money. Where it's going. My salary, just an average salary for the area. Like almost literally dead on the medium income of of the area but you're not tithing you're not genuinely tithing before the Lord this is a hard issue between you and him and if that is you with every head bowed and every eye closed and you are going to make a commitment you're going to say you know what? I'm going to do what's right 2023 I have an opportunity to start fresh with this commitment and I'm going to do it if that's you slip up your hand say you know what I haven't been doing right but I'm going to do right now God's dealing with you I'm telling you it's a heart issue it's not a financial issue it's not a dollars and cents issue it's a heart issue let God help you let's all stand these altars are open. You want to con- Some of you need to commit to this. Others of you need to take advantage of the resources that God has for you in heaven. And say, God, I am a tither. And I, you know what? I need some help. I need you to come and bless. I need some help in this area. You have a right to do that. Open the window of heaven. Show me that. Let's sing a song. Worship his name. Everyone needs compassion.
worship him tonight. Father, we thank you, God. We love you. Father, I pray for the liberal hearts in this congregation, and I know there are many, and I rejoice in their liberality. God, I'm asking you right now to open the windows of heaven and to pour out blessing upon them. Father, some of them have even cried to you, God, asking you for favor, for help in situations and circumstances. I'm praying, God, for those that uh, have desire, God, right now on their hearts, God, situations concerning, God, uh, housing, God, concerning vehicles, God, concerning job opportunities, God, right now. I'm asking you, God, to bless them and help them, God. Give them favor, God. Let them understand things that no one else does. Let them see and open their eyes to opportunities that no one else sees. God, I'm asking for the favor and the blessing upon those that have given liberally, God. I'm praying for those that are struggling with this issue, those that have resisted your word. I'm praying that, God, that you'd convict them, that you bring help and grace into their lives. God, I'm asking you for your favor in your hand, God, because this is not just a dollars and cents. Lord, we know it's our service before you. We know that this is not about what we have. It's about who we have and the relationship we have with you. God, we are, God, let not money come between you and us, God. Let us be liberal. Let us be free, God. Let us be the people, God, that you can use to trigger revival in this city, in this state, and in this region of the northeast of the United States. God, you would give us, God, that heart that we may seek you and know you and have all you have purposed for this congregation. And we rejoice that in Jesus' name.